Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Hey, listeners, very excited to be with you today and kick off season two of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. My guest this morning is Lindsay Pollock. Lizzie is a New York Times bestselling author. She's a keynote speaker, and she is also the leading authority on today's multi-generational workplace, which is a lot to all put into one person there. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. Yeah, so excited to talk to you. I first became aware of Lindsay, I think it was 2016 at the Forte Foundation MBA Women's Conference where you were a keynote speaker. And the your talk was so impactful to me because you were speaking, you know, directly to the people in the room, which was a huge ballroom full of MBA women. And to me, I always loved those conferences because there was just like so much potential in that one room, all of these future business leaders, all women, very exciting. And you just had so many great points that were really super targeted to this audience and really great career advice. I'm sure, I I know I took a ton of notes. I'm sure everybody else there did too. And um, so really excited to have you here today and be able to speak with you. I'm so honored that you remember me from that event. I worked with Forte for many years. It's a wonderful organization. And uh, yeah, the energy in those rooms is really hard to match, but I'm really excited to try to do that on a podcast. (laughs) Excellent. One of the things I wanted to talk about with you, because your focus has obviously been the workplace and having multiple generations interacting in the workplace. And so I want to start off with Is that a new thing? Have we not experienced multiple generations in the workplace the way we have these past couple of years before? I'm so glad you started with that. It's such a great question because most people think, no, that's ridiculous. We've always had people of different generations, and that's absolutely true. What's different now is that as of 2016, we now have five distinct generations in the workforce. And it's the first time we've had that many. And the reason is not because young people are coming in. We've always had young people graduate from high school and college and MBA programs and enter the workplace. The difference is that people are working and living much longer and later into their lives. So 30 years ago, you'd expect someone to retire in their mid-60s and maybe a handful go later. Now we have people well working well into their 70s and 80s. There are more Americans today over the age of 85 in the workplace than ever before. So the expansion is really happening on that end of the market. Interesting. And why is that? Why are we working so much longer? Is it out of financial necessity or we're just living longer and we're healthier? Yes, yes, and yes. So it's really interesting. The financial crisis of 2008 really extended people's, many people's working years because they didn't have enough money to retire. Many organizations, in fact, the majority no longer offer pensions to help people fund a retirement. So that has gone away as an option for many people. And as you said, people are living longer, healthier lives. And by the way, a lot of people who could even 
afford to retire don't want to because they enjoy working. It gives them fulfillment and meeting. So there are multiple reasons that people are working so much longer. Okay. I feel like some of those are good and some of those not so good, right? Yes. If you enjoy what you're doing, what a gift to be able to do it longer. That's amazing. And probably if you've been doing it a long time, you have a lot of great experience to share and all of that. So that's a good thing. But then I'm a little not so happy maybe on the thought of people working that long into their lives when they really don't want to be there, but they're just there because they have to pay the bills. Yeah. And it's an equity issue because many of the white collar uh, jobs that are done by highly educated people, you can do well into your life. More manual labor, physical jobs are a lot harder to do. So we see a divide there as well. And so what's the impact on an on a workplace, in an office, when you've got all these different generations? Every generation has a different personality to it, maybe. Talk a little bit about that. I will say that generations are obviously just one aspect of who we are. I always like to bring up the concept of intersectionality, um, which Kimberly Crenshaw, the academic, coined, which is that you're never just one thing, right? You're a woman, you're maybe a Gen Xer, you're Black, you are Jewish, you are cisgender. There are all these different factors that play and have an impact on whether we feel discriminated against, whether we have privilege, etc. What generations do, I think, is two things. I think they're there are certainly conflicts that can be caused by people coming from very different generational perspectives, but there are also tremendous opportunities, which is where I tend to focus. So for example, as a conflict, communication often comes up, which is I might very much prefer to talk to you face-to-face or on the phone. That's where I'm comfortable because I've been doing that for the 20 years of my career. I may be less comfortable texting you in a professional way because That's just not a way that I've communicated. Somebody who is a Gen Z just coming into the workplace might be a little bit less comfortable with the face-to-face communication. Where the opportunity is that I'm really seeing during the pandemic is I have been through really bad economic situations. I've been working 20 years. I've been through 9-11 and that recession. I've been through the global financial crisis. I talked to a lot of college students who have not personally experienced that. So my experience and wisdom from that uh, overcoming those challenges is valuable to them. They're teaching me how to use TikTok. They're teaching me how to have really innovative ideas of how to communicate that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. So there are potential challenges, but also potential opportunities in any kind of diversity. And how about being a manager in a workplace like that? You're managing people maybe from five different generations. How, what are some of the challenges uh, inherent in doing that? So I spend a lot of time working with managers at organizations on that very issue. And a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is a good manager is a good manager of people of any generation. So a lot of what I tend to preach is really about good management, understanding the people that you manage, spending one-on-one time, really getting to know people, altering your communication style for different needs, being a bit more flexible perhaps than before. So really good managers often are very adaptable. The challenge is that we are kind of pioneers in doing this because it's never happened before. I remember one professor said, he was at a community college and he said, I have students 
from five different generations. Some are 50 years apart in age. And I have people from, I think it was 12 countries. And I said, wow, I have no idea because that has never happened before. This is really unique and exciting, but it is definitely new. And I think if I had to distill it, I wrote a book called The Remix in 2019 about the multi-generational workplace. And my philosophy is you have to really pull and mix the best strategies of quote, old fashioned management from maybe 60 years ago, which is Katie, let's sit down, let's break bread, let's have coffee, very old school with, you know what, I really need to reach you urgently. I'm going to text you and set up a FaceTime so that we can connect. So it's not about doing it all the old way or all the new way. It's about the combinations of having a toolkit that combines the best of every era's different ways of working to find a diversity of styles in your management toolkit. Sounds wonderful, but probably is very challenging to do. Takes a lot of practice to be good at that. Absolutely. And it takes time too. I have a lot of younger managers where they have two tools in their toolkit of managing people. And over time you add more and more. So some of this is really about experimenting, um, seeing what works and being really adaptable. Nobody knew how to manage in a pandemic and we're learning. So I think some of it too is realizing that this is an ongoing skill to build and not something where you just learn it and then you never have to study it ever again. Yeah, that's a, a good thing to keep in mind, I think in the year of having to be adaptable about just about everything. One of the things I wanted to touch on with you and just get your opinion on is all this recent research about women leaving the workforce in really large numbers in 2020. When you think about like how how hard we've all worked to get women into the workforce and things like the Forte Conference and the foundation that they run and all of the work that they do to make sure women are prepared to step into executive roles in companies, and now feels like we're losing a lot of those gains as women leave. What's your thought on that? It's very real and it's very concerning. And I think in some ways we all knew this was the case that whenever life becomes precarious, often it's the woman who bears the brunt of that, stepping out of the workforce, picking up the sick child, taking the phone call from the kindergarten teacher. Often, not always, that falls on women and in particular single mothers. So I think what it says is that institutional governmental huge solutions are needed. It is not okay that we don't have any safety net for when these types of situations occur. And to put that burden on an individual woman to say, you've got to figure it out, what often that means is leaving the workforce. And I think until we have childcare options and family leave options and pay equity, a lot of that is going to continue happening. So my hope, whenever we see a really dramatic event like this and the results of that, it is a wake-up call for people to say, wait a minute, this is not sustainable. I'm very committed to making my voice heard on that issue. My hope is that when, what is it, when the sunlight comes in and shines a light on something, that gives us an opportunity to really fix it. But it is no surprise, I think, that this was one of the outcomes um, of the pandemic and the economic fallout, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I like your optimism on that. It's shining the light on something. Now we can't deny any longer we've got to do something about this, something that needs to be addressed. When we think about this year and the sudden shift to work from home, how have you seen people adapt to that differently? And maybe people from different generations adapted to that differently. What's your thought on that? 
So I have a new book coming out in March that I wrote during the pandemic called Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. And that's the the phrase. I imagine us like when you're in your car and you go to make a wrong turn and your GPS says recalculating. What I like about that metaphor is it takes everything you've done so far, your roots or your journey to this point and says, all right, we're going to have to do some pivoting. We're going to have to do some rethinking here. And I think what the pandemic has done for everybody of every generation is said, I can't just keep going on this path without acknowledging that things can go awry. And I interviewed a lot of people and and what really impressed me, and I think in some ways it's more of an intrinsic quality as opposed to generational, is people who anticipated that things were not always going to go perfectly and were ready for it and always had options and always were thinking creatively they seem to be weathering this a little bit better. And the people who said, I'm on one path, I don't deviate, I'm not going to change, are really struggling. And I remember I I had a a colleague in one of my first jobs, and she said, I expect about 20% of my day to be terrible. If it's about 20%, I've hit my mark and things are fine. I got into traffic and I got an annoying call and my boss said something mean and whatever. But if it's less than 20%, it's a win. And I think a lot of us are realizing everything is not going to go as planned. And you have to be able to pivot and be creative. And it's been pretty extraordinary to watch people of all generations, of all races, of all genders, of all economic classes say, what do I need to do to be creative? And I think of restaurants as one example, or teachers as another example, who are pivoting in a really creative way. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying we're not exhausted. I'm not saying that there's a lot of burnout that's going to happen and a lot of mental stress, but I think the new way of working is to be much more flexible and much less set in our ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe where you're working from is just one of those things, right? There's actually so much more to work than where you're sitting. And so we've had to be super flexible about where we're sitting this year, many of us, but maybe some of the other things about work we can focus on as constants if we're the type of person for whom that adaptability and flexibility doesn't come easily. It's going to be really interesting. I know people who are desperate to get back to an office and are going in as soon as they're allowed. I know people who never want to go into an office again. I know people who want to go into an office part-time. I know people who want to go in an office to socialize, but not to do other kinds of work. There are people who have to be in an office, essential workers. So I really think it's opened up this idea that we have to be in the office, but I don't think we're all going to end up working from home. Everybody's using the term hybrid now, but I think it's really going to force a rethinking of what is workspace for and how do we use it and who needs to be there and who doesn't. And I'll tell you from a generational perspective, a lot of parents are very happy to be home with their kids, but also desperate to get out at some points and get a break. It's often the younger millennial and Gen Z, younger millennials, um, oldest millennials are close to 40, but those in their 20s and younger and the Gen Zs who are saying, I want to go to work. Work is social. Work is how I get mentoring. Work is how I learn how to do things. Work is how I meet people to date. And so I think that we all think young people want to be remote because they love technology and older people want to be in person. That is not the case. It's very individual. And our reasons for wanting to be in workplaces or not sometimes come down to whether we're introverted or extroverted or what our personal situation is. It's much more complicated, I think, than, than people tend to think, particularly from a generational lens. What do you think what looks like after post-corona? Will we be, will we be doing that hybrid model, kind of half in, half out? What do you think that looks like? 
I mean, prediction is always a, a really ugly game, especially when you can go back and listen to this podcast and find <laughs> out how wrong I was. A couple things. I think that some people are going to go right back, right? And just say, yeah, never happened. I want to go right back to how it was. Some people I think are going to use this as an opportunity to be wildly creative in how they use space, whether it's hot desking and part-time and let's just come in for social events. I think we're going to see some sort of rise of the kind of WeWork model of temporary space, hybrid space, personal space. I, I had worked from a co-working space for many years until the pandemic. I think that you're going to see all sorts of approaches to this. And I really think that, you know, one of the things I would recommend to a leader is to really watch what's going on because we can beg, borrow and steal ideas from so many different sectors. And I think sometimes maybe law firms get stuck only looking at other law firms or tech companies look at other tech companies. There's a tremendous opportunity here to really rethink how we work. And I think some people are going to skip that opportunity and go right back to how it was. Other people um, might get too wacky with what they try, but there's going to be some, I don't want to say normalization, but probably some trends that are going to be really fantastic that I think we should be paying attention to. So I'll be watching very closely and blogging and writing about it, but I think there are going to be many approaches and I hope that we find some commonalities in those approaches that really work for, for people and not just for companies. I think probably work like education, I've realized very much this year, is so not one size fits all. So the remote education, which has really not worked for a number of kids, one of our children is like having his best year ever because there's no distractions in the classroom and virtual schooling has worked amazing for him. So I imagine work is much the same for some people. Working from home is really the best thing ever. And for others, it can be really challenging and, and not the best thing ever. I just, I hope we don't waste this opportunity to rethink these kinds of things. And same for working parents, to go back to our conversation about women in the workplace. People are finding solutions now that maybe will stick. One area is in recruiting. I think there's a lot of virtual recruiting taking place that will stay. For instance, some of the companies I speak to are going to move their first, second round interviews to virtual, but then the last round will be in person. That feels very reasonable to me and a really good solution. So how can we really look at every element of work or recruiting or HR or teaching education and say, okay, what elements? So for a lot of colleges are saying, all right, you don't need to be in a lecture hall with 500 people and a professor, but a discussion group of 10 people is really valuable in person. So how do we find those mixes that really work? And to your point, a lot of this was happening already. Lots of people were going to school online, lots of people working from home, but we still thought the quote norm was to go to a leafy campus for four years and be in a lecture hall or to go into an office and sit in a, at a desk in a cubicle. That's not the norm for everybody. And, and so at least we're waking up to the fact that there are all these solutions and ideas were out there already. We just weren't talking about them as much and maybe they can be more applicable to more people. I know I sound very optimistic. I'm also very concerned because I, I don't want to you know, minimize the destruction that's been caused and so many people out of work and so many people suffering physically and mentally, I think we need to address that as well. But I would hope that people in charge of different organizations are really using this as a moment to look at everything that we do and say, what are we doing? Because we always did it and we thought we should. And what are we doing? Because it actually works and makes people's lives better. And there's a lot of um, employee surveying going on. And I think that's a really smart approach, which is to ask people, how is this really working for you, as opposed to just making assumptions? 
tons of good points there. I love thinking about the recruiting too. So much more efficient to move a lot of this stuff online. Efficient for the company doing the interviewing, efficient for the interviewee who now doesn't have to take time off work to go and do an interview. You can just pop on a Zoom call and do it. Yeah, that's, I, there are, we've tried some new things here that I think you're right, will really stick because they're a better way to do things. And I love the idea of thinking about all of this as just a, a, a reboot and a new way of approaching things that we need to do, but we can do them better. So that's a great thought. When you think about people working from home, how does that impact career, like career advancement, your ability? Like you said, some people don't like it because they are not getting the mentoring and meeting people and making those connections and the relationships they need in the office to get work done. How can people do that effectively from home? I will say that we should definitely draw a distinction between working from home and working from home during a pandemic, because this is not normal working from home. And I always call that out that my nine-year-old is downstairs and could bust in on us at any moment because my husband's at Target. So like all of this could go off the rails. Normally, quote, I would be working from home and she would be at school and my husband would be at his office. So there's so much about this that is not working from home. That said, let's talk about remote work in this situation. There, a lot depends on your culture of your organization. Some organizations work very well in a remote environment where there's still advancement opportunity. There's still opportunity to brand yourself, to get mentoring, to speak up. Other cultures are not as positive in that way. For example, you might be in a very old fashioned culture where people believe that you have to have lunch together and have a lot of face time. And that's much obviously harder to do. So I think number one is to assess your culture and say, what do people really value here? Is it just simply getting my work done every day and, and hitting my numbers? Is it a lot of FaceTime, in which case you might need to get on more Zooms and speak up on more Zooms and really think about your background and being very visible? There was just an article in the Wall Street Journal on e-charisma. Like, how do you build your virtual charisma, which I thought was very funny. It's different. If you're in a culture where it's be seen and not heard, that can be very challenging. First, I would say really look at your culture and what is valued and think about how you can show your value. Number two, some of us are going to have to get a little more comfortable tooting our own horn, which can be very difficult for some people in the best of times. But now nobody is seeing what you're doing. And so you might need to be a little bit more vocal and send emails and say, look at this client email that I received praising me for my work, or I just wanted to let you know I finished the project and this was the result. We're going to have to do a little bit more of that to make our work visible. The other thing that I would say is personal branding is still tremendously important, and that can now happen in some different ways. So where you might perform very well in meetings in person, you might want to double check your emails and make sure that you're coming across in the way that you want to. Don't be shy about reaching out to people and saying, hey, Katie, I'd love to jump on a Zoom and just check in and say hi. I think the holiday season, the new year, any kind of, quote, excuse to do that is really powerful. Volunteer to join committees that are planning virtual events, anything where you can just be seen by more people. It is not easy, 
But there are many people who've been doing this for years and they have found ways to stand out. But the first key is to really understand what is valued in your particular environment, because you can speak on Zoom calls all day, but if nobody values that, it's not going to really do you any good. And I think the last thing I'll say is the, the relationship that really always matters most is with your direct manager or managers and, and the people you work with on a regular basis. So anything to keep in touch with them, to touch base with them, to communicate in a way that works improve that relationship in any way you can, I think is always going to be the lowest hanging fruit in helping your career advancement. Nice. A lot of good points there. I recently read a an open letter from the CEO of Quora where they, I don't know if you saw this too, but I, it was fascinating. It was quite long. I read the whole thing because it was really good. He was talking to his employees and what he was saying was, we're going to essentially go virtual, but we're going to keep our office space, just because if you want to come in, we want you to come in. We, a lot of, for a lot of people, this is a perk. And so we need to keep it so we can attract good people. But the thing that really struck me was he said, the executive team will not be in the office except for maybe two days of every month because they didn't want people coming to the office just for that proximity mm-hmm. because they felt like that gives that does give people an advantage if you're sitting there working next to the CEO and you get to know each other for sure that is an advantage for you when it comes time to thinking about who here has done great work and who's accomplished stuff you'd be very top of mind but the person working from home out of necessity maybe wouldn't have that advantage. And I just thought that was really perceptive of them to key in on that and then to adjust their own way of working in order to make things equitable across the company. I love that. And so much of it starts from the top, you know, what you're wearing on the Zoom call, whether your cat walks across the screen and that's okay. I was actually thinking of another CEO who really talks about his own mental health and burnout and makes it okay to say, I'm not really okay today and I'm having a rough time of it and I'm going to be honest about that. So I think the tone is often really set from the top. And I think a lot of leaders have really used this as an opportunity to be more transparent and communicative with their teams. And I think that's an absolute net positive. And on the idea of office space being used differently, I have a client who said they envision their office now being more of a social club, you know, where you can come in and have meetings and almost like an airport lounge and certainly work if you want to and need to, but it is not considered the daily place to be. And I thought that was a really interesting model that we'll see if that ends up being true or not. But I think that concept is definitely something that's on the minds of a lot of leaders. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Office as airport lounge. (laughs) Something new, right? Why not? Let's try it. Why not? Why not? (laughs) Love that. How I, I often think about really early career people who maybe have never worked in an office because they've graduated college or they're just starting their career and suddenly things have shifted to work from home. And I've, I don't know, that seems a little odd to me. I may not be working in an office now, but I have spent many years working in an office and I get office culture. But if you have never had that experience, that just seems like a really different way to grow up professionally than what I'm accustomed to. I don't know. What are you thinking about that? 
I think it stinks. And I think that there's a loss that needs to be acknowledged. I remember dreaming of my first office job and showing up and whether that's a hip technology company in Silicon Valley or a very buttoned up law firm in New York City, many of us have that image and it's a loss to not have that opportunity. And a lot of young people I speak to recent college grads are feeling that. I'm really concerned about the next class, the class of 21. Some people are graduating in December. Some people are graduating next spring. We don't know what the world is going to look like. But we saw this in 2008, where the class of 08 was okay. People had a lot of empathy. They were very understanding. The class of 09 got lost. Certainly many are very successful today, but they acknowledge that was really difficult to be the second group to go through that. So I think number one is any young people that you know who are in that situation is to acknowledge that loss. My cousin didn't get to have her college graduation and started her job in her bedroom. And that's really hard. Some companies are sending boxes of swag, of t-shirts and mugs and all the stuff that you would normally get in the office so you can feel it. Some companies are giving virtual backgrounds so that everybody feels equitable in their home environment so they feel part of the company. One organization I worked with, instead of giving each new employee one mentor, they gave them four and said, we really want you to get to know people and be overwhelmed by welcoming. So I think there are a lot of ways. I think my friend Erica Keswin talks about rituals. What are the rituals that you can become part of even when working remotely, whether it's the March Madness contest, if that happens, or uh, Secret Santa, anything that sort of involves you from the start. And I, I think it's really an example that culture is not just in the office. Culture can extend well beyond, but it needs to be a very deliberate practice. I think in summation, it's terrible. I feel so much empathy for people starting their careers. We will get back to something else. This is not forever, um, but it's okay to feel disappointed that you didn't get that first day in the office where people welcome you and you have your crisp new desk and your office supplies. That is a loss. And I think that's very real. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. I have kids who are in college now, but I know my daughter is a business major and she's looking forward to an office job someday. And and I just imagine, gosh, I hope she is not sitting in her bedroom starting her job. That would be really tough for these kids. We've talked a little bit about kind of the changes we've all had to make this year. Future of work, like what on earth? What do you see that looking like? Not just about where we sit, but about how we do it. I'm really looking to the next generations and not that innovative ideas don't come from everywhere, but I think there's some saying that the mind that came up with the problem can't solve it has to be the the new blood. And thinking about a lot of these younger people like your your own children, they're finding ways. I was on the phone with a a group. I was doing a communications training for a group of new hires and they they had WhatsApp groups and they had all these things going on that they were finding ways to build community and rituals and support and culture in their own way. There are a lot of career experts, I haven't done it yet, I should, who are on TikTok and communicating with people that way. The companies like Quora, where you said the leaders are taking it upon themselves, I'm guessing they're not Gen Zs, who are saying, we're not going to come into the office, we're going to try it a different way. So I think the future of work is going to be about reinventing the way we work. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but we've done this before. We went from a factory-driven economy to people working in offices, People invented cubicles. People invented the concept of the corner office. The Googles of the world reinvented things in the 90s with the open office and the scooters and the free lunch. That happens. We have history of that. This is not unprecedented to reinvent. And so I'm really curious what those new models are going to be. Again, I I don't think WeWork is necessarily the company that's going to do it, but the idea of work, live, collaborate, 
spaces, I find very interesting having experienced it. I think companies that reimagine their workspace are very interesting. There are many companies that have been all virtual forever. So I think they're going to reinvent that model. And I think just as people used to look for a job based on industry, well, I want to be a marketer in the airline industry. Maybe it's three things now. I want to be a marketer in the airline industry and work in a collaborative environment. Maybe that becomes another element of how you choose your career is the way in which you work best. So I think a lot is on the table and times of transition are really weird when you're in them, but there is absolutely no question we are going to look back on this time and say that was the line where everything changed and this went away and this started. And I'm really interested to see what that is, which again is not to say some people will not change it all and we'll have an office that looks exactly like the 1950s, but I think the majority of us are going to find you know very creative ways to work. But again, I just want to acknowledge for people who are job hunting now or in transition, it's not easy. It might make it sound like this is exciting and it is, but it's also very painful to lose ways of working that we were used to. I miss my co-working space very much and then I'm not going to be able to go back. I think we have to really take time to mourn what we're losing as much as thinking about the future. Yeah. Interesting. I, it, it helps to think we've done this before. So I like how you yeah. said that. Maybe we've done this before, just we never had to do it quite so fast. But also you mentioned job seekers, and that's something we really focus on with this podcast. How have you seen job seekers adapt sort of the whole process of looking for a job in a way that's been successful? There was a headline um, that I saw that said job seekers are doing things uh, have not changed. And that's a problem. I forget. I'm messing it up. But I think not enough people are adapting um, to this. So first of all, my biggest concern is the statistics of people unemployed are huge. The statistics of people job hunting are not. A lot of people, I think, are sitting out and waiting and not taking action because we're in this chaotic moment. I think that's a huge mistake, I think. And I did it. I know it's a mistake because I did it after 9-11. I was in New York City. The startup I worked for went out of business and I was paralyzed and I thought nobody was hiring. And the reality is maybe nobody was hiring, but I have no idea because I didn't try. And so I think you absolutely have to get out there. I can tell you story after story of people landing jobs, even in the pandemic, even in the commercial real estate industry, which is in trouble. So absolutely positively do not be paralyzed and sit out because it's confusing and hard right now. If you need a job, go for it is number one. Number two, you have to adapt to the way companies are changing. You have to learn how to record a really good interview on video. You have to learn how to use Zoom and other apps so that you are very in control of your rectangle of space around you and your lighting and how you speak. You have to adapt your resume to the fact that probably an applicant tracking system is going to look at it before a human and you have to format it so it has a lot of keywords that match what the company is looking for. Companies are being very transparent, I think, in how they're adapting. Many of them are giving you access to their interview software before the interview. Some companies will provide you with many of the questions in advance to help you prepare for a video interview. Take advantage of your college career center who are learning how to adapt to all these different ways of job hunting. But I think you have a lot of choice in this world. If you're a job hunter, you have no choice but to adapt to this new way and figure out how to get good at it. And it is a skill that you can learn and practice like anything else. I also think that is something that is not going away. As you said earlier, learning how to come across well in an interview on video is a skill that you absolutely must have now in the 21st century moving forward. There's just no way to get around that. 
Yeah, agree. Totally agree. All right. Excellent. Lindsay, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Thank you so much for the work that you do for everybody, Katie. It's so valued and I'm so honored to be here. You can go to my website, lindsaypollock.com. And my new book is called Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. And it's out March 23rd in your favorite bookseller online or in person. Awesome. I can't wait. I'm uh, like chuckling to myself because you're the person who actually wrote a book during the pandemic. Everybody said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And here we are 10 months later, nobody's actually done that, but you did it. So <laughs> yay for I you. I did it. I'm excited about it. I ate a lot of peanut M&Ms along the way. <laughs> it was not an easy process to write in a pandemic, but I'm really excited to get this book out there and I hope it helps a lot of people. Yeah, great. I can't wait to see that. So March 23rd, looking forward to that. All Thank right. You. Thank you so much. And listeners, take this opportunity to, as Lindsay says, rethink work. Rethink how you're doing things and look for new ways of doing the old things and look for what worked maybe in the old ways too. So lots to think about as we head into a new year. Thank you so much. Subscribe to our email list at backtobusinessconference.com for weekly job search advice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.